0: Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class a show that cycles through history one day at a time. I'm Gabe Lusier, and in this episode, we're exploring the early days of the bicycle, including how a group of early adopters helped promote recreational cycling and helped improve American roads in the process. The day was May 31st, 1880. Cycling fans from across the U.S. gathered to establish the League of American Wheelmen, the first national organization dedicated to the bicycle. The meeting was convened by Colonel Albert Pope, a former Civil War officer and one of the biggest bicycle manufacturers in the country. Pope knew that gathering 31 cycling clubs in one place would be a great way to advertise his business, but he was also a bicycle-riding enthusiast, or wheelman, himself. He wanted the newly discovered sport to thrive on American shores, but to make that happen, he would need plenty of help. Early versions of the bicycle first made their way to the United States from Europe in the early 19th century. However, they didn't function like the bikes we know today. Some models, known as dandy horses, didn't even have pedals. Instead, riders would propel themselves simply by kicking off the ground with their feet, like you would on a scooter. Aside from the lack of pedals, though, the design looked pretty close to modern bikes, with two inline wheels, a seat, and a pair of handlebars. One notable exception was the penny farthing, the first machine to actually be called a bicycle. This iconic English import had two wheels, but they were drastically different sizes. The front wheel was 54 inches in diameter, while the rear wheel was less than half that size. This high-mount bicycle may look ridiculous and impractical today, but its large front wheel was hailed at the time due to the faster speeds and smoother ride it provided. See, the penny-farthing was also what's called a direct-drive bicycle, meaning that it did have cranks and pedals, but they were fixed directly to the hub instead of to a gear and chain. In this setup, one rotation of the pedal resulted in one rotation of the wheel, and since the Penny Farthing had such a large front wheel, its rider could cover a greater distance with less effort than if he had two smaller wheels. So, far from being a novelty, the Victorian bicycle with the giant front wheel was actually the ride of choice for any serious wheelman. In fact, the advantages of the high-wheel bicycle are what gave rise to cycling as a sport. By the 1870s, bicycle clubs had begun to form in cities across the country, but not everyone shared their enthusiasm. As a relatively new mode of transportation, bicycles were still viewed with suspicion or even outright disdain by much of the horse-riding public. Some local governments even imposed restrictions or bans on bicycle use in public places. Alarmed by this development, Albert Pope used his resources to advocate for the bicycle wherever he could. He paid the legal fees of cyclists who dared to defy the bike bans, and he helped establish the Massachusetts Bicycle Club in his hometown of Boston. But as the new sport continued to come under fire, Pope recognized there would be greater strength in numbers. And so, on May 31, 1880, Albert Pope called a meeting in Newport, Rhode Island. There, he proposed joining forces with fellow cyclists like Kirk Monroe and Charles E. Pratt, and together they formed the League of American Wheelmen, a national membership organization devoted to the promotion of cycling. Split into state chapters, the league's members set to work promoting bicycle touring in their local communities. However, the barriers to entry for the sport were still as high as the front wheel of the bicycle. Penny-farthing bikes were not only expensive, they also required a good deal of strength, balance, and stamina to operate. Luckily, before the decade was over, technical advances would open bicycle ownership to just about everyone including, for the first time, women. In the late 1880s, low-mount bicycles with smaller, equally-sized wheels, chain-drive gears, and pneumatic tires finally began to hit the market. This new model was dubbed the safety bicycle, and thanks to mass production, it could be sold at the relatively affordable price of $75. Within just two years of the bike's debut, the number of cyclists in the United States doubled from about 75,000 to over 150,000. But even with better bikes and a steadily growing membership, the wheelmen of the era still had a big problem to contend with. America's roads, pretty much everywhere, were terrible. Country roads in the U.S. were especially awful in the 1890s, unpaved, uneven, littered with holes, and easily turned to mud in bad weather. As one New York Times article put it, the dirt country roads were, quote, a marsh in spring, a Sahara in summer, frozen stiff in later autumn, and a swamp whenever there is a thaw in winter. And the nation's urban roads weren't much better. They were often covered with wooden planks, which made for a smoother ride but we were still a far cry from pavement. Cyclists would sometimes pull onto the sidewalk just to get a break from the uneven terrain, and this inevitably led to accidents. Pretty soon, pedestrians were being knocked over left and right, leading some people to complain that bikes should be banned altogether. However, the League of American Wheelmen had a different idea. The group began advocating for the construction of paved roads throughout the country, but especially in rural areas where the upkeep of inner-city roads had become a burden on town residents. More than 100,000 cyclists joined the league during this time, and due to the success of their grassroots efforts, Congress established the Office of Road Inquiry in 1893. This office in the Department of Agriculture was tasked with spreading information on good road engineering and with building short segments of roads in key cities, as a way to bolster local interest in road construction. Through this effort, the nation got its first state-funded paved roads in 1898. And then, just a few decades later, Congress finally authorized an entire national network of quality roads. In that sense, it really is no stretch to say that the early work of the League of American Wheelmen paved the way for the national highway system. And yeah, by that point the paved roads were intended more for cars than bicycles, but hey, a wins a win? I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to send them my way at this day at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class.